Welcome into the Card Chronicle podcast. Uh, back here again for the second time this week. Mike Rutherford with Keith Wynn. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot today about this weekend's game against Virginia Tech. I was hoping, uh, because I got... Keith, I know this bothers you more than anybody. My old computer that I've had since, uh, I think, 2013 finally needed a reboot, needed to, to get rid of it. The, the space bar wasn't working at all. The, uh, the tab button wasn't working at all. Um, and as somebody who uses the computer literally every single day, it was becoming a little bit of a nuisance. So I finally got a new MacBook. I was hoping it would make the audio quality on Skype sound a little bit better, but I don't think it, it has. That's okay. Um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I know that you always made fun of my old computer, so I wanted to let you know before anybody else that uh, I've gotten into this the, the new century. I'm feeling good. I love that the like the space bar just flat out just stopped working, and that's what it took. Like the tab button has been gone for years. It's just an old piece of trash, but yeah, spacebar is like, well, I guess I just I can't do my job without it. So I had I to literally hit, much. I had to literally hit like the the tiny ass like head of a needle point in the middle of the space where the spacebar is <laughs> supposed to be to get words to space anymore. So writing, I mean, writing like 200 words took like an hour and a half, and <laughs> a load of frustration. I had to like just like throw that thing down. So I finally got the new MacBook and. It's it's okay. I, I, it's cool, but like all the cool stuff is wasted on me because, like I told you before, like I'm basically an 85 year old man already at this point. I'm just completely washed. Technology is lost on me. I just want to be able to write stories quickly and be able to to like look at the stupid websites I go to easily. So that's where I am. But we're doing the podcast now. We're feeling good. Um, before we get into the Virginia Tech stuff, last time you and I for last Friday's podcast previewing Florida State, we both thought that Louisville was going to. Yeah, you know, build off the performance against Notre Dame and win that game. But we also both thought it was going to be a, a close game that was kind of ugly. Didn't happen. Uh, Louisville finally puts together a complete performance. I know you've been, I don't want to use the word bullish, but you've kind of been saying Louisville's issues this season have been relatively straightforward. They're just, they're, they're self-inflicted mistakes. They're turning the ball over too much. They're having all these penalties. If they can just cut that stuff out, they're due for a complete performance. Well, they cut it out for the most part against Florida State and rolled to a 32-point win. Uh, I mean, Obviously, you were a little bit surprised. I won't ask that question because we both uh, predicted a, a close game. But this was kind of a performance that I, I feel like you thought was going to come at some point this season, right? Yeah, I think the the big thing was that, you know, they finally stopped beating themselves. But on top of that, they actually took advantage of what Scott Satterfield's kind of been talking about for, for weeks, but not actually, you know, doing it. And, and I said that last week that, you know, it's kind of time for him to kind of stop saying it and actually show us with his actions. And the, the offense, not only were they beating themselves, they weren't really taking advantage of like the defense. And I mean, we saw on the first offensive drive that Florida state was going to uh, play aggressively and trying to kind of challenge Louisville to beat them with talent. And I mean, Louisville actually did that. They took advantage of it. You know, they, they got the ball to two, two, Iowa in the slot. They spread the ball around early on to keep things off balance. JV and Hawkins was running the ball well. So, I mean, I think they finally started doing the things that Scott Satterfield has been kind of saying that they need to do. Uh, and they started doing stuff that worked last year. I mean, they ran some of the plays that we haven't seen so far this year. And that was just – it was kind of surprising. You know, I think they wanted to kind of change the offense or, or I don't want to say change as much as advance the offense. And I feel like they kind of got back to what worked for them last year a little bit. Um, the running game worked, and, and it's been working all year, but they weren't really doing things off that running game, and I think they did better with that. And then the defense, obviously. I mean, they had 12 
pass breakups. They dropped some picks, but at least they're in position to make the plays. They pressured the quarterback. Um, they did okay against the run. They still need to do better there. But I thought the defense played to the level that they need to play while the offense also played, you know, to that level we expect them to. And that's what they need to do to win games. And they just hadn't been able to put both sides of the ball together so far. But they did that last week. Have you ever seen a worse uh, catching performance? I'm not even talking like, like catching the football. Like any human beings, any collective group of human beings catching anything, like babies catching toy balls, like any, anybody catching anything, then Louisville secondary catching really easy Jordan Travis slash uh, Chubba Purdy interceptions. The only guy who could do it, again, our guy Jack Fagot, the Fagot. Um, he's a new fan of the pod. His entire family, I think, favorited the last podcast because we talked about him. He's the only guy in the secondary that can catch passes, apparently. I mean, it was it, it was bad. We looked like Florida State wide receivers trying to catch their own passes. <laughs> it was it was terrible, man. And it, it was so great that that Fago got the pick. And the way it, way it happened, I love the I, I rewatched it. It was so surprising to him that he kind of <laughs> jumped up and he was like, "Oh wow, the ball's right there." It was it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> But I mean, I think like his his pick last year when he picked out Trevor Lawrence was really impressive. Like it was a nice hands catch and and everything. And it's like, man, maybe somebody, maybe these guys need to take lessons from him on focus and concentration because yeah, the drop picks were just bad. Some of them were like hit, hitting guys directly in the chest. Uh, it was terrible. But uh, I, I did like the fact that uh, Brad Brown said that when he did his his media availability yesterday afternoon or yesterday evening. He said that all the DBs are still out on the field on the judge machine catching passes or catching balls so they can hopefully get better at it because it was kind of embarrassing after a while. I mean, Russ Yeast looked like the kid on your Little League team, or not even Little League, but like your like machine pitch team, who when a pop-up goes to him, the way he's setting up, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, like he's going <laughs> he's gonna to fight with this ball. Like, this is not going to end. That was Russ Yeast on that little floater from Jordan Travis. He had way too much time to think about it. He, like, camped under it. And it was like, what do I do with my hands? What do I do with my body? And it's like, throw it down to the ground. Like, just like his body just like stopped working. Uh, Trey Clark had a had a bad one too. I mean, it was yeah, it, it was it was rough. But it was yeah. it was the worst collective performance I've ever seen from two teams catching the ball. Didn't matter which team. Didn't matter who had the ball. Both sides of of the ball just could not seem to haul anything in. The Florida State wide receivers were. I mean, that was. I don't even know what to say. Like I said last time, I think those were those are you assume they're four and five star kids. They couldn't catch simple outrights that were hitting them in the numbers. It was just horrific. It was bad, man. I think the Florida State guys too. I mean, they had some opportunities to maybe get some plays going, and I mean that that was the hard thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that those a lot of those kids. I mean, they just had a bad run with obviously the coaching changes and all that. And you kind of hope, you know, even when you're playing against them and you know the game's out of hand, you're like all right, maybe they'll get a play and somebody will have something positive. And it's like, Jesus Christ, man, these guys can't catch anything. And, you know, big plays are just being dropped, and it, it makes everyone look bad. And Jordan Travis's numbers look worse than they maybe were. They, You know, Trevor Purdy had, I think, two guys dropped the pass. So, I mean, it just makes everything look so much worse. You kind of feel bad, like, after a while. Like, can somebody make a play and maybe have something to build off of? The good thing about blowing Florida State out, too, is like their fan base is insane enough that it's fun to follow them on Twitter when it's happening or to follow their websites when it's happening. Like some fan bases are like, like Miami's fan base. When you if you're beating them down, they're like, we suck anyway. Like, fuck this team. Get out of here. Like Florida State's fan base. It's, it's, it's a healthy mix of like Mike Norvell's got to go. And people who are genuinely like I may just drive my car off a bridge after this. It's 
it's a solid mix. And that was fun. Like I, I enjoyed following all that good stuff because they are um, insanely cocky when they win and not so cocky when they're getting beat uh, 48-16 by a team that was one and four going into that game. So it always feels good to beat down anybody in the conference, but for it to be a, you know, the second biggest brand, maybe the biggest brand, I think that they're right up there with Clemson in the entire conference. It's uh, it's pretty cool. So I think, I mean, I know they're an average team at best, but still beating Florida State by 32 means something. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, the other the other aspect I think is really interesting is I was I was I went back and started looking kind of at their roster, and I I realized you start you know I follow recruiting pretty closely, obviously because I'm I'm writing for the site and I want to keep up with things. And one thing I noticed is that there are about I want to say 19 players on Florida State's roster with some sort of connection with Louisville, either a transfer a decommitment, you know, a flip, whatever, uh, or guys that, like, visited, you know, maybe took one of their five official visits, guys that, made, that had Louisville as a as a finalist. And I I hadn't realized it was that many. You know, there's obviously the connections with Trevor Purdy and, and Josh Griffiths and some of those other guys that, that decided to flip in this last class. But you kind of I, – I hadn't realized there were just so many guys that visited Louisville or, or – you know, name them as a finalist, and it does kind of get a little bit more sweet. Like, I, I didn't take any kind of, you know, pleasure in Trevor Purdy playing poorly because I think that he seems like a good kid, and he made a decision, and, you know, that, that was best was best for him. But you can't help that beat down with guys who, you know, kind of spurned Louisville in some way, shape, or, or another was really kind of, you know, interesting, satisfying, I don't know, uh, because you, you know that those kids are good players. I think that Florida State has a good team. They just haven't put it all together. And it's good to see Louisville beat those team, beat those players that you know have talent. And and I think that one thing that stood out to me also is that Louisville's offense was just better athletically than, than Florida State's defense. And I think that says a lot because these guys are talented. Some of these guys are NFL players. And I, I it was good to see that again because we saw that some last year. And it was really kind of nice to see the Louisville athletes look better than some other guys that you know are are, are more highly regarded, I guess. I mean, I'll say it. I, I was fine with Chuba Purdy going 0 for 9. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not above saying that I enjoyed it a little bit. I loved keeping him out of the end zone. And, and I'm with you. Like I don't fault the kid for making a decision at 18 that he feels is the best for him. But I also don't want him to light up my school after he kind of dragged that thing on and then flipped at the last second. So hope he has a fine career. I hope he shits the bed every year against Louisville. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of the way it is. I'm, I'm okay with it. They've taken too much from us over the years. Like Florida State out of nowhere became like in the last two years became like our this weird nemesis where they beat us in football a couple of times in ugly games that we really should have won. They uh, took Josh Griffiths. They took Chubba Purdy. They got Jordan Travis on transfer. Didn't they take a coach or something? Like some sort of support guy in some sport went to Florida State too. Because I remember they were bragging about that too. They've punked us in basketball a bunch. They their fucking walk-ons tried to fight Ryan McMahon. I'm, I'm done with Florida State. I'm, I'm over. Like I, I hope we beat them in everything by a lot. That's kind of that's where I am right now. I like that how you started going through the list and gradually got madder and madder to the point you're like, fuck this. <laughs> it started off as like you know, and then it just turned into fuck these guys. I hate them all. They try to fight fucking Ryan McMahon because <laughs> he's getting run and you're not. Like fuck you guys, the Vipers, Get the fuck out of here. And then they they gave themselves the ACC championship. They remember they posed with the trophy at the tournament. After <laughs> That's not how it goes. They, they they tried to call themselves national champions too. I'm yeah, Leonard Hamilton, get the fuck out of here. Like, I, I'm, Florida State 
Eat your loss, whatever. We'll see you in basketball now. Um, let's let's talk about a, another program that we don't really care for. And it's a weird way to, to, to bring it up because the weird it's been talked about all week by the, the various media in Louisville and in in Virginia. The fact that Louisville's been in the conference in the ACC, ACC since 2014, they're finally going to play Virginia Tech. And this was one of the names I, I think. When we all talked about making the jump to this conference and you thought about the football schedule, you got really excited just thinking about Louisville playing Florida State and playing Clemson and playing Miami. And then the fourth name on that list when you would reel off those powers, I think, was always Virginia Tech. It was a a big-time name. They've been good forever, and this is part of the reason why you're excited to come to the ACC. We haven't played them uh, in six years in the conference, so it's, it's strange that it's happening under these circumstances. It was supposed to happen this year anyway, but now here we are. But our only other... Your recent meeting, and maybe our only meeting period, uh, I haven't checked the game notes, but the 2005 uh, Gator Bowl, the a.k.a. the Hunter Cantwell game, a.k.a. the Marcus Vick stomp game, like that's, I kind of want to get your thoughts on just your overall memories of that game. I remember there was a big, I watched it here in Louisville with my dad and my brothers, and it was a big storm. I remember having, we had to go to the basement to watch it in the middle of the game. Started off so well, Hunter Cantwell almost got beaten to death. Marcus Vick stomped on uh, uh, Elvis Dumerville's leg, didn't get kicked out of the game. Some other dude from Virginia Tech did get thrown out of the game, and uh, we ended up losing by a couple of scores, I think. It, it just left an overall bitter taste in everyone's mouth. But can we all agree, um, one, fuck Marcus Vick forever, two, kind of fuck Virginia Tech forever, because that Gator Bowl was a uh, dirty game. Yeah, I, I, I can honestly say the only thing I really remember is the Marcus Vick stump. Like, it was so bad. Because, it, you know, I think part of it was because it's, it's Elvis Dumerville. You know, like, it's it's the star of the local right. team. It's the guy that everybody roots for. You know, and he's obviously a talented player. And, you know, he had a bright future. And, you know, you're watching those guys anyway. And he, you know, such a shady. Like, there's just things you don't do in sports. You know, there's a, there's a level of mutual respect where you're not trying to injure somebody. And then you also just show respect for players who play the game the right way. And every, from all, every thing I've ever understood about Elvis Dumerville is that he's a good dude who just played football and didn't do anything shitty and was like a normal, nice guy. Right. So it'd be different if it was like, yeah, Louisville has some, uh, you know, had a guy who was being shitty to Vic and Vic just retaliated and took it too far, but he's just being an asshole. So like, to me, like, yeah, you just like it, 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 it sticks. I, I, I grew up kind of liking Virginia Tech because they had that kind of, underdogish blue collar thing going with you know inner sandman and they always play it always seemed like they were playing night games and i love bud foster you know so i, I you know just from a football standpoint but yeah you can't help it like that just kind of takes them to me because the only time i've seen them play louisville you you know that that moment just still stands out and marcus vick also turned out to be really awful in general so yeah. i think that's just yeah yeah that's pretty much my only real memory of that game is him being a piece of shit. I'm with you. Like I grew up kind of liking Virginia Tech, especially like the Michael Vick teams. I remember um, getting so excited for that national title game when they played Florida State his freshman year, uh, and then it didn't go great. But yeah, I had nothing against Virginia Tech. I always kind of liked them until that game. The only other thing that I really remember from that Gator Bowl game is Hunter Cantwell getting just bludgeoned like, like the he had the note he had like the stuffing in his nose that got knocked out in a couple hits like almost died and then after the game he talked about that somebody from um laguna beach reached out to him which of course like i, I was a gigantic laguna beach fan and when we had him on the radio show r.i.p 
I think it was last year. It was after he got the Christian Academy head coaching job. Like I asked him, like, was that just something that got spun out? Did somebody from Laguna Beach really reach out to you? He's like, oh, yeah, no, no, that was a real story. And I was like, who was it? And he said, I don't remember. And I never <laughs> let down. I mean, I was so let down. I was like, how do you not fucking remember? There was like six people on that show. Um, like, was it one of the girls? Was it one of the guys? Like, come on, like, give me something. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't even remember. I was like, God damn it, Hunter. Um, but that's all I really remember. But so uh, we'll do this for Hunter. Last game was for Ryan McMahon. This game's for Hunter Cantwell. We're going to keep righting these wrongs for players who no longer play for our teams. Uh, that's what we're going to do. But Virginia Tech coming to town this weekend. And I'll ask you, you wrote the breakdowns on Card Chronicle for both sides of the ball. You talked about the offense for VT, and you called it sort of a, a two-man offense, the big two, a two-man show for the Hokies. What two guys are we talking about here? So, so Khalil Herbert is their uh, star running back. Uh, one of the saddest things I can actually say is I've watched, I watched him play twice when he played at Kansas, which means I watched two Kansas football games, which is fucking sad. <laughs> but uh, he played, uh, he had a really big game against Boston College. And so I watched Boston College play Kansas last year. Um, and he's a really impressive kid, man. He's, he's got this great ability to kind of change speeds and kind of, um, you know, really set defenders up thinking that they have they have an angle on him or they have him dead to rights, and then he just kind of takes a second level to to a speed and kind of cuts outside, and he's he's a, he's a, he's able to kind of uh, get around the corner and, and get the edge. So I think you know the big thing that they try to do with him is get him on the edges of your defense where he's going to be playing against second second level players or third level players, and hopefully win one on one matchups where. You know, a Rushies or an Isaiah Hayes or a, or Rajay Burns or Nico Kiki Asardi those guys are going to have to make tackles in space, and he wins those battles a lot of times. So, you know, he's he's leading the country and I think all-purpose yards because he's their he's their kick returner. He catches the ball out of the backfield, uh, and then he also runs the ball really well. And he's a big play machine. Uh, I believe I just saw a stat that Javian Hawkins is second in the country in 20-plus yard runs and. Cool Herbert has one fewer than him, so you know we know how big how big play how many big plays Javian Hawkins makes. Cool Herbert's right behind him, so he's their star. And then you have Hendon Hooker, who's their quarterback, who also runs the ball really well, kind of a game manager type of passer. You know, last week he turned the ball over three times. He had only had two interceptions coming into this game in his career, so uh, he's a guy that really protects the football, runs the ball pretty well. Not a electric fast runner but he's about 220 230 pounds uh so he, he runs hard and he gets those five to ten yard gains uh and he can kind of he can scramble pretty well which we've seen all year Louisville doesn't handle those scrambling quarterbacks very well so that's obviously a, an issue and then they haven't really stopped the run very well the last two weeks uh Florida State was able to get some chunk runs get some of those eight nine yard runs where you're putting your offense in a good position uh, and obviously Notre Dame was able to get a bunch of five to seven yard runs and then you don't have to throw the ball on third downs. You, you still have the option to run or, or pass, uh, which Louisville's off Louisville's defense isn't doing well on third downs anyway, but you still want to get people in those passing situations. And Virginia tech has been very poor in third and long. So, uh, the big thing that they have to do is really stop that running game because even though Virginia tech does have good weapons on the outside they have a really really good tight end uh james mitchell i believe number 82 kind of one of those hybrid wide receiver tight end guys 
He leads their team in uh, uh, catches. They have Trey Turner, who I think is one of the better receivers in the ACC. Hasn't really had the opportunity to break out yet. Uh, and Tavian Robinson, who's another a guy that they, they can rely on this year, who stepped up into that second wide receiver role. They have talent there. Hendon Hooker hasn't really been able to get those guys involved, uh, as well as their other quarterbacks who played when Hooker was out. So the run game is what they really specialize in. They're going to try to get that, that. That's their bread and butter, so to speak. They're, they're in the top five in rushing right now. Louisville has to find a way to kind of slow that down, take that away from them, and force Hendon Hooker to throw the ball uh, and get those other guys involved. And obviously we saw last week that the, the pass defense in the secondary is playing better now. They need to be able to keep doing those things. Yeah, I mean, I, I want Hendon Hooker to have a bad game for obvious reasons, but I really want him to have a bad game so we can avoid every shitty joke that's out there. I mean, just the, <laughs> like, Louisville doomed by a hooker again. Like, I mean, the, you know, billion retweets from, you know, Teddy Hives, KSR, 247, whatever. <laughs> like, that, I, we have to avoid that. But you mentioned uh, Trey Turner. He's really, really good. And as well as Louisville secondary has looked the last couple of weeks, they've gone up against a couple of teams in Notre Dame and Florida State that you expect to have really good wide receivers but really uh, have been kind of weak on the edge this year. I feel like this is where we're going to find out if that improvement in the secondary is going to be for real. Like, like This is kind of – this is, in a weird way, a bigger test for this, uh, this Louisville secondary, maybe the, the defense overall, than the last couple of weeks have been. Absolutely, and I, I think that's the thing that – you know, I talked last week, and I remember saying, you know, some somebody from Florida State, because you'd ask me, you know, who's the guys that, to look out for? I was like, really, they don't have anybody that's been consistent enough to to call that. But I was like, somebody's gonna have a breakout game because that's just what happens to Louisville sports. Trey Turner is that guy this week that I'm like, yeah, I can see him making a play, getting a big, you know, a, a big gain here and there, and then them looking to him more and him becoming the guy that they they kind of rely on to take the pressure off the run game. And Trey Turner's a guy that, yeah, over the last few weeks, Louisville hasn't seen a guy who has proven to be as explosive as Trey Turner, who can consistently catch the ball, who can run after the catch, who can do it all. He's a he's a complete wide receiver. They can, you know, run fly routes down the field with him, run him over the middle on post routes. They can run him on quick screens to the outside, and he can make people miss after that catch. Um, and he, he's shown that ability. And they also will um, – run sweets with him and things like that, like we see with Tutu Atwell. They just want to get the ball in his hands and let him work. And he's that kind of talent. And on top of that, he's 6'2", 200-plus you know, pounds. He's got the size to, to be a red zone threat, things like that, too. So I think he's he's an NFL receiver. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that they haven't worked the ball to him more. Virginia Tech has had quarterback issues, though. Hendon Hooker's played in the last two and a half games. Before that, he had some issues with covid I believe I've, I've heard that he had a separate health issue, and I've already had a had COVID issues. But either way, he was out for the first two games. They didn't play him the full game against North Carolina. When he came in, he almost led them to a comeback win. But I think they're really – they've kind of flipped it this year compared to years prior. Virginia Tech hasn't had a good running back for years. Now they have that, and they're really relying on that run game. But when you do that – and the way Louisville's been defending teams lately is to try to take away the run. They're being more aggressive. They're allowing their, their corners and their safeties to play on an island. And, yeah, they haven't had a guy like Trey Turner that they've had to match up with. Louisville, ha- Louisville has to find a way to make sure they get pressure on Hendon Hooker 
force him to be uncomfortable like Wake Forest was able to do last week. He really just he looked like he was uncomfortable, kind of like Ian Book looked against Louisville, where he would he when his first guy wasn't there, his feet start moving, he's looking all over the place, he's pulling the ball down. That's how Henry Hooker looked last week. Louisville has to find a way to do that because they were able to take away those receivers. Uh, Wake Forest was last week and take away the running game, and that's how they came away with a win. You mentioned, flipping over to defense here, I mean, you mentioned uh, Bud Foster gone after 24 years at Virginia Tech. Um, it's not just Bud Foster either. Justin Fuentes got rid of a bunch of assistants at the end of last year, including a bunch on the defensive side of the ball. Brought in Justin Hamilton. Uh, it's really, it feels like it's kind of probably more of a Justin Fuentes defense than a Justin Hamilton defense, but it's been bad, and the fans has not have not been happy with this. Um, you mentioned in your, your breakdown on Card Chronicle, a lot of this, or at least some of this, probably due to guys missing uh, because of COVID uh, rules. I mean, how much do we really know about this Virginia Tech defense? Because it hasn't looked great, but there have been so many guys in and out, it's hard to really get a feel for what they should be or at least what they could be. Yes, it, it, it is weird. Like, they, they played against uh, – I know North Carolina, they had backups the week before that. I think Duke, they had Walpons playing in their secondary. I think they only had two scholarship secondary players. So they've had a lot of issues from – a COVID standpoint and a contact tracing standpoint, Justin Hamilton actually missed the first two games, I believe, as a defensive coordinator. Um, so, I mean, they've had just major issues of trying to get a full roster, um, a full coaching staff to be there. So it's kind of hard to know, but I do think that they have some real issues that are scheme related. Um, I actually tweeted with uh, Mike Felder from Stadium about this when I was watching games the other day because I was surprised at how hard how hard of a time they're having uh, defending the run. And one of the things he pointed out that was interesting, um, Rayshard Ashby, who has led the ACC in tackles last year, had 120 tackles, 17 tackles for loss last year. Uh, one of the guys that, you know, we all know how Twitter is. Every, every fan base thinks that their players are the best. And guys like David Hell, and Andrea Adelson and, and, and folks, they, they have their, you know, their list. And Rayshard Ashby was the guy that the Virginia Tech fans were just livid that he wasn't getting enough recognition. Uh, and he's a downhill, 5'10", 245-pound, like, college linebacker. You know, he, he just he makes a bunch of tackles. He gets it. He, cut, you know, finds lanes to run through to get guys behind the line of scrimmage and at the line of scrimmage. And they are just doing a terrible job of that this year. Uh, so I do think there's a scheme change with Virginia Tech's defense that is just not working. Uh, their defensive line, they're doing, they're looking to make more plays as opposed to holding up blocks with those really talented linebackers and Ashby, Dax Holyfield, Holyfield, however you say his last name, really talented linebacker. Also, both those guys are just getting killed by by offensive linemen because their defensive line is not, they're not doing a good job of disrupting things holding up blockers, a lot of the things that we've seen Louisville's defense improve with this year, Virginia Tech doing a poor job of. So you have these huge running lanes. Uh, North Carolina ran for 200 or 399 yards and like 9.28 yards per carry or something like that. Uh, Wake Forest had a bunch of chunk runs and, and big runs because they're just finding these huge lanes. And it's really surprising because they have talent. Uh, they're, they're not recruiting like they did, you know, when they were in their heyday, but they still have talent. But I think the big thing is that they've lost these secondary guys. Caleb Furley, um, he decided to, to opt out. Pro I think the best corner in the country outside of maybe 
you know, Stingley down at LSU. And then Jermaine Waller, he, he's been out for most of the year. That's probably the best corner combo in the country, or at least the ACC. When you don't have that, you've got to really protect your, your corners. You've got freshmen out there playing, backups, walk-ons. So they're not able to really stop the run because they can't bring extra guys up. And next thing you know, you're giving up, like I said, 399 rushing yards. Uh, even Boston College, who cannot run the ball this year, one of the worst rushing offices in the country, still ran the ball okay against them. Uh, so I think that's really what their issue is. The scheme change, for whatever reason, is is causing issues. But on top of that, they have the personnel issues with their contact tracing and COVID issues. At what point do we stop with the like Beamer ball stuff with Virginia Tech and special teams? Because like they weren't even good at special teams in his last 10 years there. But every time they make an extra point successfully, like every dipshit announcer in America is like, well, that's classic Beamer ball. Steer. He's still here in spirit, folks. Like they still got the special teams working. Like I love when Virginia Tech fucks up in special teams just because it goes against this tired narrative that's been disproved all the time. It's, it's a personal gripe. I get it. It's, it's just me, but I don't like it. I'm sick of it. It's over. No, I, I fucking hate it, too. It's really <laughs> stupid. It makes no sense. It's, it's one of those things where, I mean, it, it, it really, it's, it jumped the shark like 20 years ago. I mean, I, I'm, it makes me feel old thinking about how long ago Beamer Ball was actually a thing. It's so long ago, and it hasn't been a thing for years. And honestly, really, no team in the country is, like, consistently really great on special teams because no. that's not really – it's hard to do. Like, the game has changed. It's evolved, and people don't do the same things anymore. It's like, oh, this team always blocks punts and kicks. Nobody really does that anymore because everyone knows how to stop that from happening. Thank and, you. yeah, it's it's the worst because it is every single game. It's annoying. Every game. It's it's so it's so tired. I don't know. Anyway, uh, before we move on, I want to remind you guys about our uh, sponsors over at Homefield Apparel. They're sponsors of the pod. They're sponsors of the website. If you haven't checked out their retro UofL gear, which dropped a couple of weekends ago, do so now. Go to homefieldapparel.com. I'll put the direct link to the, uh, the Louisville gear there in the show notes. And if you want to make a purchase – on your first purchase, you can use the promo code at checkout, Card Chronicle, all one word, uh, C-H-R-O-N-I-C-L-E is how you spell Chronicle. If you don't remember that, just Google it. It's right there. I swear to God. Uh, it'll save you 20% off on that uh, first purchase of Vintage Louisville Apparel. They've got hoodies. You can get ready for the winter. They've got awesome T-shirts. They've got the Duncan Cardinal Bird wearing shades. They've got a uh, Saturday's T-shirt. It's all good stuff. Again, homefieldapparel.com, and use the promo code Card Chronicle, all one word, at checkout to save yourself 20% on that first purchase. I'm also seeing now, before we get into our predictions for this game, the uh, Shannon Russell of the Courier Journal, the new Louisville men's basketball beat writer, is reporting that Malik Williams has not been practicing because of an ankle injury, and he's probably going to be out for another week or so. So cue your, like, here we go tweet. Like, everybody in America's got, like, the here we go. Like, like get it out of your system right now. Here come the injuries. We're the only team in America that has injuries. Uh, it's that time of the year. We're, we're here, Keith. Jesus Christ, man. Like, really, like, he... <laughs> He, he, like, you feel like I feel bad for him, obviously, yeah. because he, he can't get over the injury bug. But I, it was funny, you know, like Facebook memories pops up, and I used to post on Facebook way more than I do now, but I still check them because it's interesting stuff. I get to see pictures of my daughter and all that stuff like that. It's kind of fun. But you know what also comes up every time? Like Wayne Blackshear out for the season. I'm like, <laughs> Rakeem Buckles, you know, injured. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I see those, and I'm like, man, this seems, it really has been going on forever that Louisville has these crazy injuries that just kind of happen around this time of year. And it's just, what are the odds, you know? 
I swear, I was before you said his name, I was about to be like Rakeem Buckles lost his pinky finger in a <laughs> cooking accident. Like that's the only thing. The best was the uh, the Gorgie Zhang concussion from walking into a door. I think that was the that was my all time favorite, which probably didn't actually happen. That was Rick Pitino being, you know, but what are you gonna do? Uh, let's get to predictions. This game four o'clock kickoff on Halloween, which is I think quite frankly the worst possible kickoff. If you have kids for for a Halloween game, you can't get anything out of the way beforehand. You can't really do anything at the proper time at night. So, first of all, what are the winds doing? You've got a couple of kids. Um, well, you, you've got one trick or treating age. Uh, Patrick's probably still a little bit too young to really kind of get it. But what's your all's game plan for dealing with the game and Halloween being on the same day? You know, it's it's, it's really funny. So I've been I've I've got a new job, which you know, and anybody that follows me on Twitter, I think I you know people know that I have a new job. I've been working a lot more than normal, kind of kind of the hey new job kind of getting things kind of squared away stuff sure. so i haven't this is probably the first year i don't even know what my kids are dressed like or you know, like dress up as probably like i have no clue and i thought about that today but <laughs> i was like shit i should probably know that no clue but my wife also probably bought their like costumes like six months ago because she's excited she gets excited about that stuff so they probably ha- they have them but i have no clue what they are so, so also today I texted my wife. I was like, "So, what's the plan for Saturday?" Because uh, I have a, I do have a work thing that I kind of have to at least help out with for a short time. And I was like, "The game's in the middle of the day, and we we usually go to a a, fa- a friend's house, a family friend, uh, and they do like a kind of a Halloween. I don't want to call it a party, but like get together." where we hang out in the driveway and hand out candy in the driveway, have drinks, they, you know, they make some food. But, you know, with COVID going on, they kind of passed on that. So I was like, okay, so what's the plan? And I think we're just kind of going to keep it light and after the game do some, you know, maybe walk down the street because we only have Patrick this week. My daughter's with her mom. So I was like, oh, you know, we might just kind of take it easy. And, you know, we're doing the work thing, which is a trunk or treat thing at my job. And then, you know, at the at night, we'll probably just kind of, go down the street with the neighbors we know and, and do some light trick-or-treating. I'm not going to lie to you. The the Keith Wynn campaign for Card Chronicle Dad of Quarter 4 just took a huge hit. Just, <laughs> took, just took a massive hit. Uh, you've now fallen behind CDK. He, he's, he's just he's leapt past you. Um, I don't know who you're going to – maybe Connor Shea. I don't think he has kids. Maybe you're still ahead of him. So you got that going for you. But – that's bad. That's, that's tough. Yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, so the game, 4 o'clock kickoff, ACC Network. Um, I, I think Virginia Tech, as we record this, is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, but still there's a lot of love for Louisville out there. Uh, what's your overall prediction here? Give me a score and give me a little bit of a, a synopsis on how you think it's going to go down. You know, I think that Louisville has kind of, uh, you know, turned a corner, so to speak. I think they've, they've – I, I really do truly think they've fixed the issues on offense from a standpoint of the sloppiness that we saw that led to these losses, uh, at least in my opinion. Um, so I think that's the big thing is I think that they can handle getting some big plays against Virginia Tech's uh, defense. I think Virginia Tech really struggles to stop the run. Um, and I think that Virginia Tech on the flip side is not really great on third downs right now, which is Louisville's defense's issue. So I think there's some advantages that Louisville has and I think they'll take advantage of it. Uh, I think it's close. I think it'll be a 38-28 Louisville win, mostly because I think, you know, the home game, you know, the the the, the potential of turning things around, I think is getting the, the team to play a little bit better. Uh, and I think they fixed the offense. I'm, I'm hoping they fix the offense. 
Yeah, I feel. I mean, if last week was fool's gold, I'll be the first to admit that I, I fell for it, and I'll admit that I'm wrong next week. But I, I really think that, the, to use your phrase, they've turned a corner. I think they've become more the team that they should have been from week one on, and I think you're going to see that moving forward. I think they win this game, and I think they control it from start to finish. Uh, I'm going to say Louisville 37, Virginia Tech 24, and I, I just think that you know, COVID issues aside, Louisville's a, a better team than Virginia Tech. And I think J.V. Hawkins has a monster day. I think it's another one of those games where he hits uh, triple digits in rush yards before halftime, and uh, we're kind of controlling things in the second half. So I'm hoping it happens. Also, before we get out of here, it's a blackout game. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, if we wanted to wear all black uniforms, I'm fine with that. I don't know why we had to do the, the theme game for, you know, a home game that's going to have 12,000 people in a uh, stadium that seats far more than that. But w- whatever. Uh, I mean, blackout games are they, – they're okay. They, they haven't – none of them have met the, uh, the peak of the, the bar set in 2005, but um, – or, or I guess 2006, I mean. But whatever. Like, I, I, don't, I don't hate them. The uniforms are cool. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And I, I think it's, it's, it's fun – to do these things but they just don't really turn out very well and it's hard to meet like you said the the 2006 west virginia game and then i think even for basketball what was it georgetown with the all white yeah. i think i mean it's just yeah. it's hard to match that and it everything else seems to be a letdown it becomes kind of a tradition at a certain point i guess that you feel like you have to do it and i'm here that we don't have to do this like, like, like we but if it works, hey, who cares? Just just win the game. To use the the phrase that a billion people have used on Facebook and Twitter <laughs> when the, the poor social media UFL football people have had to post this stuff, just win the game. Who cares what you're wearing? Uh, but hopefully we do. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the pod yet, please do. Give us a, a rating. Give us a review if you can. That also helps us out a lot. Um, if you haven't, whatever, that's fine. We just appreciate you listening. We're happy to be doing this. Happy Halloween to everybody listening. Have a good, fun, safe, happy weekend. And hopefully we're talking about a win next week. Go Cards, beat Virginia Tech.